everyone. It's Tent Talks. Thank you for joining us. Today we have two special guests, Sarah Hanks and Christy Boyce. And I met them a few years ago, pre-pandemic, at a retreat. And since then, our friendship has evolved. And we've been doing this thing that we like to call deconstruction or unfucking our brains. And I want each of you to give a little intro. Sarah, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here talking with Christy and Stacey, one of my favorite things in the world. So yeah, my name is Sarah Hanks. I live in Northern Utah. I've lived all over Utah for almost my entire life. And I am a mom of two kids. I'm a Pisces. I'm a writer. I'm very much into tarot. You can find me on Instagram at Cottonwood Woman. That used to be Cottonwood Tarot. I also talk a lot about like ex-Mormon stuff and kind of everything that comes after leaving the church, which is something I did personally five years ago. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really excited to dive in today. We're happy to have you here. And then Christy, give us a little background on you. Yeah. So I left the church about five years ago too. Sarah and I had different journeys out, but we ended out at about the same time. On Instagram, I am Yo Kizzy. That is my name. And I'm always mouthing off on there. Um, <laughs> yeah, you are. Always, always. <laughs> I'm trying to have better boundaries, but it's just not possible because I'm a Gemini. Um, so it doesn't happen. I live in New York city, although I lived in Utah for about 10 years. So very much went through the whole Utah culture, church culture there. That's where a lot of my own deconstruction started and happened. And then slowly through the weird internet circles, that is that entire kind of, you know, land, got to know Sarah. And our friendship kind of kicked into high gear maybe three or four years ago, really just kind of remotely, just over Instagram, honestly, uh, Marco Polo, things like that. And then last year, I was visiting Utah over the 4th of July, and we did a Q&A session together, kind of about a lot of these topics, about Mormon deconstruction and about unfucking your mind. And we've just been talking about it ever since. And so we're excited to continue that conversation here. (laughs) Yeah, there's a big difference between leaving something and then deconstructing. And I'm hoping you guys will share what that process is like for both of you. Sarah, let's start with you. Yes. So I very clearly remember one day, and I don't know if this, I want to say it was sometime in the pandemic. But this one Marco Polo that I got from Chrissy just burned in my mind. I remember I was watching it while I was getting ready for bed. I was in my bathroom at home. And she said, there's leaving the church. And then there's unfucking your mind. And it is important not to conflate the two. And that just summed up a lot (laughs) for me. But, you know, I personally, my kind of quote unquote faith crisis years, progressive Mormon years, when I was really trying to make it work in the church, it was my entire 20s. It was from when I was 21 to when I was 30. And the journey that it took me to leave the church, it obviously, it took me a really long time. There were a lot of stages to that, lots of ups and downs. But in this then, it has become really clear to me that leaving the church, you've done it. You, you have accomplished it. It is finished. It's not, that's not how it is. Leaving in some ways is like step one. 
in trying to like kind of the precondition that allows you to start untangling a lot of other things like recognizing the value system and the worldview that in our case, Mormonism really instilled in us. And I think true for whatever kind of institution or, or um, cultural construct you might be leaving, like recognizing how that has formed you and how much you now have to take apart and dismantle like brick by brick. Yeah. It's a very arduous process. And yet at the same time, it feels kind of minuscule in a way, because a lot of times the things you're pulling apart are very, very personal to you. And they're just kind of like little tweaks in how you live your life or how you approach certain questions. You know, it's one of those, it it just feels kind of contradictory that it's this enormous process. And yet it's also very, very small, very remote to you. Well, I think it starts with that, like listening to your little tiny triggers, because most of the time we just brush them by, like, that's not me anymore, but it's, it's that little brick by brick layer of saying, oh, why, why is that a trigger for me? Or why am I uncomfortable right now? And it's having that deep conversation so that you can build a full new foundation or, you know, whatever analogy we're using. And then Christy, tell us about your process. Yeah. Um, So I kind of came to that general idea, you know, of leaving the church and unfucking your mind and they're not the same thing. Uh, I had been in therapy for probably a solid year at that point where I kind of like came to sort of like that understanding of therapy every single week on the couch with a therapist here in New York City. And every week that went by, I was never not astounded at like the layers of surprise (laughs) in my experience. Totally. And the things that I would say to my therapist and his jaw would just drop. And for me, it was really helpful to go through that experience with a a non-Mormon and somebody who was not familiar with Mormonism at all here on the East Coast. Like Mormon culture is very foreign. Like people just don't know it. And so it was just very interesting to me week by week to just talk about these ways that I was raised, these understandings of family, love, sexuality, power, that these messages that I got just all throughout my upbringing that I started to realize, oh my gosh, like I'm actually not done untangling all of this. And in fact, there's so much here that I haven't even thought of because I was so busy in trying to extricate myself from this thing that was harming me that I didn't even think of things like, what does love mean to me? What does community mean to me? What does liberation mean to me? These questions of life and art and the self that I had never had the time to consider because I was so busy trying to keep my head above water, literally surviving this process of honestly leaving a cult. And so that is what I talk about in Marco Polo with Sarah (laughs) all the time, all the time. It's like these ideas and kind of the way that we have been going about it, a central kind of strategy or tenet of this mind unfucking is just starting to question the premise of every question that we have, of every idea that we have. A lot of times it's really interesting to see the ideas or assumptions that are baked into even the questions that we asked. And so it's been really fun to kind of have a partner with Sarah to be like, well, wait a minute, what are we even tacitly saying in asking this question in this way? And that is a whole, that's a whole thing. That's a whole journey. And it's just been really fun to just have, you know, dear ones like you, Stacey and Sarah 
who are interested in that investigative work because you need- Yeah, it does feel like investigative work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I think questioning the premise, that was actually something, I think earlier Christy brought up this Q&A that that, uh, we did last year in Utah. And when we were preparing for that, like when we got together that day, we had our note cards and we were like trying to, we were going to talk about we were responding to a lot of questions that people had sent in. And this thing that kept showing up over and over as we looked at these questions that people had sent in and how we wanted to respond to them was this idea, oh, there's a premise within that question. It's not, but it's implied. And you can see the same things in a lot of cliches that come up around the Mormon community or the ex-Mormon community about like, you left because you were offended. Well, the premise in that question or in that accusation, I guess, is that being offended is not a good reason to leave. You know, there's there's a premise that that is not mm-hmm. um, defensible or that there's something weak about that or something yeah. invalid about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. No? And questioning the premise would say, well, I guess how would I say this? When someone is accused of leaving the church because they were offended, very often the first response is, no, that's not why I left, which can be a fair response. But another way of tackling it is saying, well, I want to question the idea that leaving because I'm offended is a problem. Why why shouldn't I leave because I was offended? Like, you know, you kind of have to question the implication that that is not okay. And in a way, you're you're taking back some of your power to, like, define the terms of what you're talking about. And in doing that, you start to see the psychologies and the neuroticism that guides a lot of Mormon thinking. Um, Because that's a very Mormon way, a very kind of shaming way of discrediting someone, of minimizing someone, is to say, well, your reasons for leaving were petty, or your reasons for leaving weren't good enough, or they were somehow maybe less righteous than they otherwise could have been. And that's where you start to see, when you question the premise of an idea or an accusation, all of a sudden, the inner workings of the Mormon psychology, the Mormon psyche start to come into play. And the Mormon psyche is a very complex place. It's a very mired place. And that's the land that I really like disentangling. That's the work that I enjoy doing myself, in concert with friends, because I have found my own, my own healing has been the most profound when I have gone into those spaces. And they're very dark and very scary sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I even wanted to give an example of doublespeak because in this way of like, you left because you're offended. And then, you know, next week at Sunday school, you could have a lesson that says, whatever offends your spirit, you know, is Mm -hmm. not good for you. And they can use that same language to their benefit and then use it to tear down another in like the same beat. It's very tricky. Mm Mm-hmm. It really is. I think in general, like questioning the premise is it's really important for investigating the things that other people say. It's equally important for investigating the things you say, because the whole idea of like unfucking your mind in this context that we're talking about is kind of realizing how much your psyche is still the Mormon psyche. I hear a lot and I see a lot in kind of these like ex-Mormon communities people continuing to use the rationale of the church as kind of their own rationale. Like, for example, there's this really infamous quote that a former leader of the church, Gordon B. Hinckley, 
said about, I can't remember if he was talking specifically about the Book of Mormon or about the Mormon, the, the LDS church as a whole, but he said it's either true or it is the greatest fraud that has ever been perpetrated. And people, you know, in ex-Mormon spaces will sometimes reference that and they'll say, well, it's not true. Therefore, it's the greatest fraud ever perpetrated. And when I'm reading that, you know, those kinds of comments, I want to say, well, let's question the premise of that. Why are you still taking Gordon B. Hinckley's words as the gospel? What if it is neither true nor the greatest fraud ever perpetrated? What if this is just one in a million examples of, you know, a, a movement that is built on a false foundation or a, a movement that harms people. I think that idea of like Mormon specialness continues to be part of our, part of our psychology. Like we, you know, that, that this is the greatest fraud ever perpetrated instead of it just being kind of like one in a million, you know, I, I think that's, you know, and that's just one example where you can continue sort of playing by the rules of the institution, even though on one level you've recognized you don't want to anymore, it's very hard to like root out every, every little like plant that, that has been planted in your mind from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting about that is this, you know, kind of taking with you, not unfucking your mind from this idea of Mormon specialness, for example, of thinking that, you know, it lets you off the hook. It lets you off the hook to just think the Mormon church was a, the greatest fraud ever perpetrated and I, I did away with it and so now I'm done. I can think of many other frauds <laughs> that are much better. Yes. I can think of a lot of other frauds and it's the, the, the harder work is to then connect how the Mormon fraud was an outgrowth of those things. How it was yes. a fraud of white supremacy, misogyny, racism. <laughs> there are many, many fra- capitalism. I mean, the Mormon church, many people say that it is the most American of religions and it really is. And that's not a compliment. And so I think it's much more interesting work and much harder work to say, what about Mormonism is so American and how did all those forces conspire to exert control on people and to, and to hurt people? That's a much more difficult process to undergo. And if you just kind of fire off some, you know, a quip like that, if you reverse engineer a prophet's words for a dunk, for a gotcha, for internet points, you don't go there. You don't go there and it's lazy and I don't respect anything about that. And so I'm very much not here for like a lot of ex-Mormon TikTok culture, although I do see like where people find healing and validation in that. And I understand that that's necessary and needed and really, really needed but I really get sick of seeing people stop there. And I see a lot of people stop there. I just, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of respect for it. I want people to keep going beyond the dunk. (laughs) Totally. And that actually reminds me, Chrissy, the way you're talking about this, another kind of essential premise that can be questioned is this whole thing from ex-Mormonism about how the church isn't true. I mean, and listen, I agree with that statement. The church is not true. You know, it doesn't live up to its truth claims. But when there is so much emphasis on that among, you know, in ex-Mormon communities to the point where that is the only objective is to demonstrate that the church isn't true, I think what can be questioned underneath that is, okay, but what else? Whether it's true or not, is it good? Whether regardless of its truth or regardless of the fact that you have concluded it's not true, what impacts does it still have on you? What is your responsibility to the broader world based on the fact that you were part of this system? How do you heal yourself? Like, it's very easy to get stuck 
in a certain place or to think that there's just one objective to prove that the church isn't true. And that's one thing that I really want to question within this ex-Mormon movement is like, okay, do you have anything to remark on other than that? Now that you have come to that conclusion, what is your next work? How do you understand your liberation to be tied up with the liberation of others? And what does that actually look like? I love that. And I feel like unless we do this deconstruction and and questioning the premise, we stay stuck in this dichotomy of black and white, good and bad. And that kind of like great opposition, it leaves out the entire middle gray area where all the magic happens and the nuances and actually most of life happens in the gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's in line with something else that I see crop up often in ex-Mormon circles is this idea of linearity of wanting, okay, well now Mormonism was, you know, you know, for thinking of black and white of thinking that what is the next thing that I jump to? What's the next spiritual path that I find for myself? I need another spiritual path immediately. So what church am I going to now? Like, what's my thing? What am I doing? And it's really hard to just kind of say, what if I don't need that? What if that doesn't have to be a part of my life? You feel really, really unmoored. And that's a very understandable, natural inclination for many people. I remember when I first moved to New York, which was around the time that I more or less officially kind of left the church as official of a capacity as you can. I just like stopped going. But I remember thinking like, oh, okay, like I got to go find a Unitarian church now or something, or I got to go, you know, I have to become like really, I have to become like earth goddess, like really witchy, like (laughs) the Mormon to shaman pipeline, (laughs) (laughs) the Mormon to shaman pipeline. It is so real. And I was ready to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was there, but yeah, like that's what people do, right? Like someone spends a few decades steeped in this culture, in this ideology of spiritual hierarchies, of linearity, of one source of truth, and doesn't immediately jump out of that into the gray. Like, no, like you need time to deconstruct that too. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. And so, yeah, people immediately jump into oftentimes like very restrictive ways of being. They just, you know, take the dogma or the shame or the control of Mormonism and find a new thing to plug into um, or a new ideology, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be religious. Wellness. Yes. Yes. Wellness. Absolutely. You name it. You know, there's so many different things that just like, it's like a really easy slide from Mormonism into other forms of hierarchy, other forms of control, other forms of dogma, of ideology that are very much baked into the same black and white thinking, the same shame, the same control over your entire life that Mormonism embodies for people. And along this idea of like healing and deconstruction and linearity, a lot of people ask, I often get the question of like, okay, like, well, what are the phases of coming out of Mormonism? Like, okay, so like you come out and then there's the angry phase. How long does the angry phase last? And after I'm angry, then what am I? And I, oh, I understand so much like wanting a path and wanting answers and wanting a timeline, but that is just, for me, that's not how it works. That hasn't how it's been in my experience. And one thing that another idea that Sarah and I talked about as we were preparing for that Q&A last year is this idea of healing happening in a spiral, of healing being not linear, 
but spiralic. And the gravity just sometimes takes you and you spin fast around this corner or this edge with anger. And then it releases and you let go and you keep turning around and you keep spinning. And then maybe you come back around and it's really intense with grief. And the grief is really intense for a while, but like the spiral keeps going and the same things keep coming back around for a moment, month, maybe for a year. It depends, right? Like the healing process is never really over. And as exhausting as that sounds, that's just how it is. I think spirals, you see them all over in nature. You see them in fossils. You see them in plants. You see them everywhere. You even see them in like in molecules, And so it just kind of makes sense to me, or it brings me some comfort to think of healing being the way of nature, of regeneration being the way of nature. And the spiral is a pattern that you see continuously in these processes down to the molecular level. And so who am I to say that my healing should take a linear path when so much else in nature is spiralic? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you do Mormonism, this order to be worthy it's very destabilizing to leave that and be like, well, now how will I know if I'm worthy? Mm. And you look for something, you, you try to think, oh, well, maybe if I dedicate myself to this, uh, if, I, if I run this marathon, or if I follow these rules of eating, or if I succeed this way and I earn this much money, maybe that will be what tells me I'm worthy. And that to me is, again, like a very linear process. It's literally like, you could think of like the temple recommend questions as linear. Like it's a checklist, mm-hmm. like A to B, here's how you can know if you're worthy. And the spiralic kind of concept, I think, can work not just in terms of healing, but also in terms of your own relationship with yourself. That there are going to be times when you feel like your worthiness is not for anybody's measurement. And there are going to be times when you feel like you are completely unworthy and there's nothing that could ever change that. And then there are going to be times when you're like, worthiness is such a bullshit concept anyway. Like you're going to kind of move through it and and come back around to those same phases again. I can't tell you how many times, and this was even true while I was in the church. Like I would have this like intense faith crisis moment and then I would spend months getting through it. And then I'd be like, oh, thank goodness that's over. And now I know how to be Mormon in this way that will work for me. And it's like, oh, I didn't know you could have a faith crisis again, but you do like you can, Mm -hmm. and you can continue to just come across new things that you're like, oh, that, that hurts again. I didn't think that would hurt again. I thought I had fixed it. You didn't. It doesn't mean that that healing wasn't sincere. It was just there was another level to it. And now you're ready for it. One phrase that just popped into my mind as you were talking, and this happens all the time. And this is what I love about hearing you speak. Worthiness is a scam. Worthiness Mm -hmm. is a scam. Good and bad is a scam. And like, we take that scam with us out of the Mormon church and we superimpose it onto other things. And so I'm just here just to suss out the scams, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It's a scam. Right. hurts people. It controls people. It divorces people from themselves. It makes you dis like disassociate from your feelings, from who you really are when you're so focused on proving this thing or trying to be this thing. There's always going to be an other, whatever it is, dictating that. And it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to just plug into that other and to let the other do the talking or the dictating for you than to figure that out for yourself and to yourself and to let go of Mm -hmm. this idea of worthiness at all. Yeah. 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 
Well, I think that's a really beautiful place to wrap up because we're going to have you on next week. And I know that you guys collected questions. So maybe we could end on a question. Yeah. Do you have one that could kind of relate or go slow into that? Yeah. How to help someone leave the church or at least explore their doubts without scaring them off. My brother is becoming more liberal and quote unquote progressive Mormon, and I want him to go further. Yeah, we received this question and I think both Christy and I were like, oh, I recognize myself in that. Like we have, we have numerous people in our lives, both of us that were like, well, I mean, we want everyone to leave the church, like no bones about it. We do, but in a way that's like true to them and healthy for them and whatever. So Christy, how would you begin to kind of look at this question? So first off, I come to this question with so much empathy and compassion and understanding. And I think I resonated so much with this because if we're trying to question the premise of this question, I hear a lot of saviorism in this, wanting to save people, wanting to like be that missionary that leads someone out, which again is a very, is a very Mormon compulsion. And I don't even say that disparagingly. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. That's rooted in love. That's rooted in compassion. That's rooted in, you know, love to me. There's this great, this great quote in the book, All About Love by Bell Hooks, which Sarah, you might need to help me. But it says, love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of another person's spiritual or emotional well-being. Yeah. I might be a little off on it. But to me, wanting someone to leave the church isn't necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing to want because you're invested in their growth. You're invested in their humanity in wanting that. And so I don't mean to disparage that at all. But it's really hard to weigh that in concert with this saviorism, with that really all-consuming compulsive need to be someone's savior, which I very much feel. I'm the oldest of six kids. I was very intent on going on a mission before I got married. And so this is a really hard thing to grapple with myself internally. But for me... I think you can just only support people in their journeys and you can say your piece when it is asked for, um, when it might be relevant out of care for a person. But the hardest thing for me in being out of the church is recognizing that it takes the time that it takes for people. People are entitled to that and no journey looks alike. And that is letting go of control. And the Mormon church really likes to give you a sense of control over your life and over other people's lives. And it's really hard to let that go on yourself. And that is ongoing work for me. Yeah. 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 I think when I read that question, the premise underneath it or that the kind of the follow-up questions that I would want to get to is like, well, why, you know, I think she even, I'm assuming it's a she, because most of the people who follow me are, but, um, I want him to go further is what this person said. Why, why do you want him to go further and not, you know, and I don't ask, I truly don't ask that in any sort of accusatory way. There, there are lots of possible reasons you could want him to go further, but I know for myself, one of the reasons that I want people that I love to leave the church, especially when I was among the first and, you know, in my circles, I felt lonely. 
-hmm. I wanted somebody else to be out here with me. Mm-hmm. And you could think of that as a selfish desire, but I don't personally think there's a lot wrong with selfishness. You care about yourself. You care about your needs. If you feel lonely and that's one of the reasons you want your brother to go further, then just sit with that. Like, look at, look at that loneliness. Can you embrace that loneliness in a way? Can you say like, this is how I feel right now. And instead of trying to chase off this feeling for this moment, at least I'm just going to be with it. You know, and there are many other possible reasons too, but I think in general, I look back at my own journey and I know that it took a long ass time. It took me a lot longer than it takes most people that I encounter. And I'm really glad that I had the time to not leave until I, with 100% of myself, wanted to. I didn't feel like I had to. I didn't feel like anyone was asking me to. I felt like I wanted to. And that has helped me feel no regret in that decision at all which I really appreciate. And so maybe if there can be a little recalibration to think like, I do want my brother to leave the church. I do want him to go further, but I want him to do it at a pace that works for him. I want him to follow his own kind of intuition in that process, unfuck his mind as he goes. And how can I support him in doing that? And I mean, the answer to that would just be a lot of open conversation, which I know can be really hard in like most Mormon families, most families probably, but open communication, say like, Hey, I'm here for you. And, and I, I just want you to be happy. And I, and I hope you'll feel comfortable coming to me and here's some books and, you know, just kind of let that unfold as naturally as possible. I think. The last thing that came to mind is again, as you're speaking, Sarah, is this tension between control and vulnerability. Mm. And it's a lot easier to want to exert some kind of control over a person, whether it is subliminal or overt than it is to actually lead with vulnerability, to open a heartfelt conversation, to offer up, to learn to communicate. Vulnerability is really, really hard. And it's a lot easier to just come in and try and lecture someone or to try and prove something to someone than Mm -hmm. it is to just crack open your heart and to connect with them where they are and where you are and to find what that bridge looks like. Yeah. It's really, really hard, but that is the work. That is the work of growth and of love. I feel like personally those two are my top two things like learning to relinquish control and learning to be like vulnerable with me, first of all, because I've shut myself off for me and Mm -hmm. that loneliness comes like from within my soul to my soul. I just want more access to me and I project that onto other people. And I feel like, yeah, that question could have been my question. And it probably, you know, was my question last week with someone I loved. So yeah, yeah, we're all doing it all the time. It's just, if you're actively questioning and, and going further, that's the work of deconstruction is not just sitting with those, but taking it a couple steps further. Thank you so much for being here today. And I'm really excited to pick up this conversation next week. So um, we can find you guys in the meantime on Instagram at Cottonwood Woman and Mm -hmm. Yo Kizzy on Instagram. Mm -hmm. 